0: you want to pray for us?
1: Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity just to come together. Father, as family, as your people. Father, and on this Palm Sunday, when we, um, the week before Easter, when we remember the, uh, the triumphal entry that Jesus took into Jerusalem and um, the name that he was called, Hosanna, the highest name, the highest form of praise. And, um, so, Jesus, this morning, we just uh, we give you the highest form of praise because no one else deserves that name. And so uh, we thank you for your sacrifice. And you knew exactly where that road was going to lead as you took the donkey ride into Jerusalem. And you knew that those people that were shouting Hosanna were going to be the same people that were uh, a week later were going to shout crucify him. But yet you did it anyway. So Jesus, we thank you that you made a way for us to be reconciled back to the Father. And so as we come this morning, I pray that nothing would distract us, that nothing would hinder us from your word this morning, that we would focus and fix our eyes upon you, and that our hearts would be good soil, in Jesus' name,
0: amen. amen. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 21, where so we're heading this morning, before we go into our time of worship. And Carrie was praying. And today is Palm Sunday. I like to read this portion of Scripture, Matthew twenty-one, verse one. As Jesus and his and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethany on a Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there, with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks you what you are doing, just say, The Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Praise God in highest heaven! The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? they asked. And the crowds replied, It's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth and Galilee. Let's praise our God. said on the above things that are above and not the things of this temporal world but Father we would truly have a clear vision and an understanding of who you are and of your great love for us that you so love the world Father that you gave your one and only son that whoever would believe in him will not perish but have Eternal life. Yes. You came to seek and to save the lost. Mm-hmm. You're full of compassion yes. and mercy, slow to anger.
1: Yes.
0: So, Father, as we come this morning and we open up your Word, pray, God, that we would be attentive. The leading of your Holy Spirit. And God, each of us are at a different place in life. Each of us are experiencing different circumstances. But God, yet you know each of us. And you know exactly where we're at. And you meet us right there. And I thank you for that, God. I thank you that we're known. By you. And I thank you, God, that you meet us right where we're at. And in meeting us, you call us to come. To follow you. To trust you. To receive, Father, this free gift of salvation. That we would be restored. Made whole. That we would be Let's go to mark chapter 5 We're picking back up in the book of mark it's been a few weeks since we've been in mark so i kind of want to do a quick summary an understanding of, of this gospel that has been written if we remember this was written to the church <clears throat> in rome and the church in rome consisted of gentiles mainly there were some Jewish believers, but they were the minority. It was mainly the Gentiles. And so Mark is writing this gospel to remind this church of who Jesus was. And it's the shortest of the gospels. It's, it's a quick gospel, if you would. It gives count after an account after an account after account of Jesus. Mark doesn't have to lay out the, the fullness of prophecy being fulfilled, if you would, to this church. Because again, it's mainly not of Jewish believers, it's mainly again of these Gentile believers. Gentiles are, are those who, if you would, were not the select group of people, God's people, the Jewish culture. These are people on the outside, but yet they've come to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. So they've been engrafted into God's family. See, the good news, the gospel is for all, not just for a select few. It's for all who would receive. And it's interesting, as we've been studying through this book, that we understand that the church at this time was under great persecution. Remember, this is a time when Christians were being hung on the crosses throughout the city and lit on fire at night. This is also the time that Christians were brought, was brought, were brought into the arena. People would gather and cheer on watching Christians be devoured by wild animals. It was not popular to be a Christian. And yet, this gospel is being presented to them to remind them, keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't get sidetracked by your circumstances. Don't get moved by what's happening around you. No, keep your eyes on Jesus and remain faithful. Amen. Remain faithful. Remember Jesus and what He has endured. And He's writing constantly. Boom, boom. Boom. Giving them an account after an account after an account of Jesus. His power, His majesty. We see Him encountering all these different circumstances, and yet He triumphs over them. Oh, such great hope for the church. Not just written for them, but for now. Whatever you're facing in life today. Jesus is our hope. We won't find hope in the temporalness of this life. Everything that we know of this life, the temporalness of it is fading away. But Jesus is the only one. His kingdom is established to remain for eternity. And so we've seen as we're reading through this gospel, that as that church was reminded, so are we reminded. Keep our eyes on Jesus. Oh, and today as we open up the Word, We're going to get a good glimpse of Jesus. His compassion. We're going to get a good understanding of of who He is and, and why He came. We're going to get a good glimpse of His power. We're going to get a good understanding of His truth. Remember, the Word of God says it's the truth that sets you free. Listen, one thing we all have in common is that we're born into sin. Each one of us have been born in rebellion towards God. But God so loved us that He sent His one and only Son, knowing our state of rebellion, He sent Jesus into this earth to redeem us, to call us back to Himself. Jesus is the only way to God. Jesus Himself says, I am the only way. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. You can't get to God by any other means. Mm. Only Jesus. And remember, we've talked about over the past few weeks about love. Love. You see, the cross had to take place in order for the true love to be displayed to all creation. No greater love than this that a man will lay down his life for his friend. See, when Adam and Eve sinned, when they rebelled against God, when they went their own way, didn't take God by surprise. You see, the cross was purposed even before God spoke the earth into an existence. God's purpose all along is to display His love to all creation. And no greater love will ever be displayed than the cross And this is the message that He entrusts us as believers to go and carry out into this earth. That's why as believers we're not to think high, too high of ourselves. No, we're to serve as Jesus served. I love that line. I'll love as you love and I'll serve as you serve. Because that's how Christians should be living. We're called to love. We're called to go forth and to tell of the goodness of God. That His love endures forever. That His love has been displayed on the cross so that all creation would know that there is a way to be at peace with God through Jesus Christ, your Lord. That we live differently on this earth. We keep not our eyes set on the templeness of life, but we keep them on Jesus. And each day we say, Yes, Lord, I'll do your will, not mine. I'll do your will, not mine. And that's how we can love the unlovely because we were once unloving. Jesus, yet in our state of of being unloving and and, and just being in total wretched and just rebellion towards Him, He loves us. But Jesus. Desires that we wouldn't remain in that state. That we would come to him. And in coming to him, he cleanses us. He frees us from the chains of sin and death. And I've been reminded this week oh, death, where is your sting? Mm-hmm. Jesus has victory over death. Mm-hmm. Earlier this week, when the doctor looked at me and said, You're on the verge of having a heart attack. Thank God, you followed your instinct to come because you would be dead by this weekend. I go, wow. And I remember leaving his office and heading to the hospital and thinking, God, whatever the outcome is, you're still victorious. So as I laid in the hospital and as I was reflecting of just the peace that I had to being there, I was just like, God, I'm not going to be moved by what any man or woman is going to say to me while I'm in here. Because you already hold the victory. No matter what the condition or the outcome may be. Oh death, where is your sting? Oh death, where is your sting? Jesus Christ is Lord and King. And my life is hidden in Him. My life is not given by results of tests. Or my circumstances. Mm-hmm. No, my life is hidden in Christ. And your life is hidden in Christ if you're a believer in Christ. If you're a follower of Christ. You see, remember, faith, our faith in Christ has to produce something within us. It just can't be words. There's a lot of people who say Jesus' name, but they're not followers of Jesus. No, your faith has produced something within you. You're to mature, you're to grow as believers. Not being perfect. Remember, our goal is not perfection. Our goal is just maturing. Each and every single day. Yes, you're going to make mistakes. Yes, there's there's going to be times where you fail. But it's in that failure that you remember of His great love. And you get up from that place. And you repent. You throw off the sin that so easily entangles you. And you keep moving forward. And this is the hope that the church has. This is the hope as we open up His Word today, Mark chapter 5, that we're going to find. Let me set the stage for you. We left off in Mark chapter 4 with the great storm. Remember Jesus put the disciples in the boat and said, Cross the lake. And Jesus went to sleep. The great storm came and started beating up against the boat. The disciples freaked out. They wake up Jesus. Basically what you bring us out here to die? <laughs> Do something. And he stands up. And he commands the wind and the waves to be still. And the wind and the waves. Stopped. They became still. And he looks at them and says. Look at here. Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Verse 44 of chapter, 20, forty-one of chapter 4, the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. And they get to the other side. They get out of the boat. And now they're going to be Faced with this man that is demon-possessed. And what we're going to need to see in this account is that Jesus was not afraid of, of who he was about to face. even though this area was afraid of this man, even though this area have, had tried to chain up this man, He kept breaking free. He was running amok. He was hiding in caves. He was cutting himself. He was tormented inside by the very things that were controlling him. You see, remember John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus says, but I've come to give you life and life in the abundance. You see, it's the enemy that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus comes to give life. And we're going to see this play out in the scripture this morning. I'm sure the society, the culture of that time looked at this man and said there's no hope for him. His circumstances are out of control. He is who he is, that's always possibly how he's been for quite some time. He was put out. He was running among the caves, a barren place. No man could restrain him. He was out of control. It's a hopeless situation. But Jesus arrives, as he does with each of our lives. Each of our lives can get to a place of no hope. Each of our lives can be where people may put us out, put us aside, don't care for us. Each of us can experience such great rejection. Each of us can experience such great torment of the enemy and of our very own nature, the flesh. Each of us can experience such great isolation and insecurity. But Jesus steps in. It says here, verse 1, So they arrived at the other side of the lake, in the region of the garrisons. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the cemetery to meet him. This man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with the chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, He snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. Mm. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. Mm. He was out of control. He could not be contained. He was hurting himself. He was lost. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. Scholars think that when this man ran towards Jesus, it wasn't, if you would, to embrace Jesus. It was all, almost to incite Jesus, if you would. To scare Jesus off, as he probably did with everyone else. But isn't that what we do, though? We're in a place of, of confusion, a place of isolation, a place of insecurities, a place of, of living with no hope, that we push people away from us. We try to push them off. We try to get rid of them. We try to just remain isolated by ourselves with our own worries in life. We're probably nasty to people with a bad attitude. We're not embracing. We're not loving. Because we're so consumed with our circumstances, with our lives. How can we be loved? So it's easy not to get hurt anymore. So it's easy to push people away. Oh, but that's not push Jesus away, you all. He knows where he finds us. He knows what we're experiencing. Jesus comes to the side of the lake. This man throws himself down. Not in a form of worship. Look what he does after he bows himself down. With the shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Remember, this man is controlled by demons. And we've already read before when Jesus encountered a man who was possessed, when the demon spoke, mm-hmm. he mentioned the name of Jesus. And in that time, in that period, when you would mention the name, the title of someone, the belief was that you were trying to gain authority over them. And so we see this again. The demon mentions his name. The demon is trying to to gain authority, if you will, but he can't have any authority over Jesus. I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. So it just wasn't one demon, there were many inside this man. The evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. And what we gain in the understanding of this is, remember, there is a time in which will come when the enemy and the demons will be dealt with.
2: Mm.
0: The demons clearly understand that time is set aside for them. And did you see how they asked them, Why are you interfering with me? I beg you, don't torture me. They know what their final outcome is going to be. Eternal punishment. And they're having this exchange, if you would, with Jesus. Notice Jesus says, come out of him. Demons responded back, and some may wonder why did Jesus have this exchange with the demons? Remember, God is sovereign over all. He's about to display such great authority as He has been time and time and time again to his disciples and to anyone else who would pay attention. He's having this exchange. He's given us an understanding. Remember when the word of God says, even the demons know the word and they tremble at it. They know what's to come. Some may question, why does God continue to allow, if you would, evil? God is sovereign. God ultimately knows what's ahead. All things work together for the good. For God's purpose to reveal himself. More and more and more so others would come to an understanding of who God is. Evil is not greater than God. Satan is not greater than God. So many times we give the enemy more credit in our lives than we do God. So many times we get so caught up in our circumstances that we we take our eyes off of Jesus. Jesus. And somehow we begin to exalt our circumstance. Somehow we begin to exalt the influence of the enemy. Somehow we we begin to exalt the influences of the world. But as Christians, no, we're only uh, called to exalt the name of Jesus. We're only to keep our eyes on Him because we realize all things work together. God's sovereignty brings all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. We're seeing this incredible exchange take place. Jesus could have dealt with it right then and there, but he's allowing this for a reason. He's revealing himself, even at a greater understanding. Remember, Satan, his thoughts were that I'm going to rise up above the throne of God. But he couldn't. Nothing, nothing is greater than our God. God's throne is established. And Jesus is at the right hand of it. All authority and power. Nothing is greater than God. It says here, the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus, look at this. Let's let's look at this. Gave them permission. All authority. (laughs) And power. Jesus gave them permission. Enter. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs. The entire entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. you imagine this picture? 2,000 pigs. They were peacefully there just doing what pigs do. But all of a sudden, their bodies were taken and dragged into the water and drowned. Remember, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. But Jesus came, comes to give life and life in the abundance. What these demons were trying to do to this man, they end up doing to the Pigs. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. Could you imagine arriving on the scene and seeing 2,000 pigs floating in the water? A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Listen, they were more focused on what happened to the pigs than they were to this incredible deliverance of this man. And so many times that happens to us. So many times we get so focused on darkness... So many times we get so focused on our circumstances and the outcomes of things instead of focusing on what God is doing among it. Don't be drawn to focus and gaze over here when he's calling you to gaze right here. This man who was chained, tried, you know, crazy out of his mind, chained up, breaking the chains, smashing the shackles, running amok all through the land now is sitting Perfectly, still, and healed completely, transformed in an instant. Circumstances are about to change for him. Completely healed. No longer bound by darkness. No longer, no longer captivated by c- uncontrollable thoughts. He is made whole. He is healed. All because of Jesus. You see, when your mind wants to go, when when your flesh wants to get overwhelmed, when when the enemy is pressing in, when when the world is demanding of you, oh, if we would remember Jesus.
2: Hmm.
0: And if we belong to Jesus, if we are Christians... We are part of of the church, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. Our victory is in Jesus. He is the greatest warrior. There's no superhero above Jesus. He has all power, all authority has been given to him, and he rules and he reigns. And he came to this earth to declare the goodness of God and to reveal God's love through the cross. And then he was raised up on the third day and he defeated sin and death. Such great power. But as he's making his way to his cross, he has this encounter with the man who is filled with demons. And he sets them free. And these people... Instead of responding, they became afraid. (laughs) They focused more on the dead pigs than they did Jesus. The question is for us today, are you focusing on those dead pigs? Lost things in your life? Someone's livelihood was taken away from them. Someone invested into those pigs day in and day out. And these people were more concerned about the pigs and afraid of Jesus. Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and to leave them alone. Do you see this? instead of wanting to embrace Jesus, instead of wanting Jesus to remain among them, they were like, go away. Leave us. Leave us. And Jesus, and we're going to see, leaves. And history shows, and scriptures show as well, that he never returned back to this area. He granted their request. Leave us. Leave us. He leaves. Oh, but in his absence, he leaves a witness. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him to go with him. But Jesus said, no. Go home to your family and tell them everything the lord has done for you and how merciful he has been with you or has been so the man started off to visit the 10 towns of the region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him and everyone was amazed at what he told them and history shows that these 10 towns became followers of Jesus it's quite interesting They told Jesus to go, but they didn't tell Jesus, take this man with you. Mm -hmm. They said, go, leave us. Jesus is getting back in the boat, and the man runs, begs Jesus, let me go with you. He says, no. Go. Tell them all that has been done for you. You see, Remain as my witness. Your life has been transformed. Go. Tell others. Tell others. This man who was once enslaved to such chaos is now called by God Almighty
1: Amen.
0: to bear witness
1: Amen. of God's power,
0: Amen. of God's love. Same with us, you all. Amen. We all have been broken. We all have gone through life. And we're still going through life. And yet each and every single day, God reveals himself to us to remind us who he is. And if you belong to him, who you are. You're to go bear witness. Go testify. Let others see a changed life. Not just someone who says that they're a Christian and doesn't live like a Christian. Now remember we talked about in the early church how one was marked as a Christian is a transformed life. Not just someone who says they are and keeps living the same. No, a life transformed. A life no longer bound by shackles and chains. By torment of the mind. By insecurities of the soul. But a life transformed. Remember, not living a perfect life. Our goal is not perfection. Our goal is maturing. I'm sure this man, yet though he would never be possessed again, I'm sure his life probably had different things that would come up. But he had to remember of the great salvation that was given to him. This freedom, this hope. And that sustains him. It sustains us as we continue to go through life testifying of his goodness. His life impacted ten cities.
2: Amen.
0: Thousands upon thousands of people. Because he kept Telling others the good news. I once was, but now I am. See, whatever the world is trying to define you as, don't be defined by the world. Don't be defined by your past. Be defined by Jesus. Amen. He is the author. He begins this work in you. And he is faithful to complete it. This man begged to go with Jesus. No. Go. And be my wife life has been transformed. Remember we read a few months ago, we we were reading through the scriptures and how scripture says, if you're a liar, stop lying. If you're a thief, stop stealing. Instead, work hard. Give to the poor. If you use foul, abusive language, clean up your mouth. See, it's this transformation. It's this life that's different so that people can see what's different about you. Jesus. This is the good news that we have. Jesus. We stop living for ourselves because remember in Luke, Jesus tells them, "Ah, consider the cost before you come after me, before you follow me, before you become one of my disciples, consider the cost because it's going to cost you everything. You're to lay down your life and pick mine up, Jesus says. And I'm going to empower you with the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And He will keep you. He seals you until the day of redemption. He's your counselor. He's your comforter. He's your teacher. Our lives as Christians are are to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Go forth in this life to share the awesome news. This man's life, radically changed, wholeness. It's a beautiful picture of wholeness. Remember, in that culture, in that day, for Jesus to even have an exchange with this man was looked down on. The religious people of that day would have looked down on this man. He's unclean. They wouldn't have anything to do with him. And yet, here's Jesus. Who's willing to meet this man who the culture says is unclean, have nothing to do with. And yet, Jesus meets him right there. And that's how the church should be. And you keep hearing me say, I don't know why the church is angry at the world. Why somehow we think we're better than them. When we're called to go and to serve them. And to love them. Because we once were there. We know what it's like. And so we go to serve and to love them right there. And Jesus is our example. Jesus didn't hold a religious attitude. Jesus did not push that man aside. No, Jesus met him right there. And served him. This became whole and complete. Nothing missing, nothing broken. Remember, I keep encouraging you. How are you living? Are you living out of brokenness? That's a choice. The greatest lesson I've ever learned in my life is realizing that no one did anything to me. I've chosen how I responded to the things that the world threw at me. Many years I lived angry at people for the abuse that I endured and the things that were done to me and the, and the consequences of, of my family and, and how we live poor and, and just broken and just nothing. For so long, I blamed everyone else, but reality is my choices were coming into an agreement with what was being done around me. It wasn't until I chose to believe truth that my life began to change, that wholeness began to come. Because my life was no longer based out of the brokenness, it was based out of truth, it was based out of Christ, it was based out of the fact that He loves me. And I had a choice to make every single day. I can choose to live out of my brokenness, or I can choose to live out of life, out of love. And I keep encouraging y'all, stop living as the product of the fall. Especially if you're a Christian. If you're sitting here and you're a Christian, you're not to continue to live as a product of the fall. No, you're to live now as the product of the resurrection. Amen. You're to have hope. Because you have Christ. And your life is to reflect that hope in Christ. Your choices and your decisions that, and what you're putting your hand towards and, and everything you're taking in should reflect this hope that you have, not from your brokenness. And it's a lifestyle every single day because we're living in a fallen world. So, this weird prosperity gospel, this weird teaching that's out there trying to influence the church so that everything's going to be perfect, that is so demonic. Because Jesus himself said, In this world you will have trouble but be of good cheer I've overcome the world Amen. and we ought to start living as overcomers we really start should believing in whom we say and we're believing in Amen. and collectively we should be coming together praying for one another that's the whole purpose of the church you all hmm. is to encourage edifying to build each other up in our faith not to put each other down not to fight each other not to try to gain authority over each other. Not trying to f- battle each other. No, but to submit to Christ and to submit to each other. And to love each other. And to know that we're called to encourage each other in our day-to-day lives. This man was made completely healed. He didn't get up from this place and keep living in brokenness. <laughs> no. He got up, and he went out and did what he was commissioned to do. Go tell others. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? He could have probably stayed stuck and remembered all the dark days. But this great life, this great power, this this incredible transformation can't compare to darkness. Jesus, the light of the world, dispels the darkness. Nothing is greater. Nothing. No one is greater. Jesus. This man did not have to be tormented any longer. He was free. He was free. And not only was he free, but remember he was given the commission to go. And we talked about that last week. We've been called to go. So Jesus gets back into the boat. Verse 21, Jesus got into a boat, into the boat again, and went back to the other side of the lake, where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. So he leaves one place, leave us. We don't want you here.
1: And isn't
0: that just like Jesus? He's not going to force us to follow him. You don't want him a part of your life? It's your choice. Remember, we've said this before. A lot of people say, well, how can a loving God send people to hell? Oh, God doesn't send people to hell. You choose to go. You choose to go because you look at God and you say, I don't love you. You're not God. I'm going to do my life. I'm going to live how I want to live. And I keep telling us, why would we trade his love, such great love, for his wrath? Why would you trade God's love, the very one who created you, knows you, who formed you, who placed you in your mother's womb, who has a plan and a purpose for your life, why would we keep rejecting Him? And even in the book of Revelation, even when things are hitting this earth left and right, there's still going to be people who will raise up their fists to God and say, You're not God. And He loves us enough to say, That's what you want to believe. Have at it. I'll turn you over to what you want to be a slave to.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it'll destroy you. y'all you realize that? Remember back to what I was saying about choices. It's your choice. Each and every day, each and every hour, each and every second, you have a choice to make. When things are presented to you, you have a choice to make. Either to love God or deny Him. To love God or to deny Him. But you're serving, you're a slave to something or someone. The Bible says you're, no, you're to no longer be a slave of sin, you're to be a slave to righteousness, to Christ. Like he doesn't force you, you willingly lay down your life because no greater love than this, than a man will lay down his life or his friend. That great Expression of love being displayed through, to the creation is now through our lives. As people surrendered their life, that love is being testified yet again. Throughout the earth, time and time and time again, creation is being reminded of this great love. That we will willingly lay down our life to follow the one who came for us. A choice. Choice to follow him. These people are now gathered around. Jesus knows the motives of your heart. He knew the motives of these people's heart, and we're going to kind of see this kind of displayed throughout this next portion. See, they wanted Jesus to be a sideshow. Continue to do miracles. Continue to do for us. Work for us. Let's control him. But Jesus didn't come to be a sideshow. He didn't come to to just do for us. And I know it's what the church today still wants him to be. This God that we control. This God that that we can demand of to do. And if you don't do, then we don't want nothing to do with you. This God that we think we can just keep questioning and questioning. Stripping him down and making him so common as if he's man. No, no, no. Jesus is God. He is in control. He's not moving for man's applause. He's not moved by the crowds around him. No, he has a purpose and it's the cross. These people show up. And as they're gathered around, we're going to see two encounters in this next portion of Scripture. This leader of the synagogue is going to come. Remember the Pharisees? who have been talking a lot about them. These were the, the religious men of the day. They should have known Jesus as the Messiah, and yet they were threatened by Jesus because they wanted to keep their position. They wanted to keep control over God quote-unquote, God's people. So to see this man, this synagogue leader, come, he was influenced, he would have been a man influenced by the Pharisees. So for him to even come to Jesus shows you how desperate he was. That he pushed aside the religious influence of what looked right, and he ran to Jesus. His daughter was dying. He knew Jesus was the only answer. His faith in Jesus compelled him to go to Jesus. Forsaking the the position that he had, he could care less. And he goes. And it says here, then a leader of a local synagogue whose name was Jairus arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Mm-hmm. We know Jesus could have just spoken the word. Remember when the Romans centurion came to him? He said, just speak the word.
2: Mm-hmm
0: that Roman centurion understand authority. This Jewish leader, the custom of the day was to lay hands. So he presented a specific request to Jesus by his faith in Jesus, knowing that if you would just lay your hands on her and Jesus honored the request that was given. He honored this man's plea for help. Jesus could have looked at the man and thrown up to the man. Why should I do anything for you? You're part of the system. But he didn't. What we see here is he was moved with compassion. Jesus doesn't stand in front of us and throw up in front of us all of our failures no he stands before us and he's moved with compassion when we sincerely seek him this man came and he was sincerely seeking Jesus remember he threw off everything and he came to, came to plead Jesus went with him it's a beautiful picture There's certain scriptures I like to circle and highlight or kind of focus on. I love that scripture. And Jesus went with him. God, that gives us such hope. And all the people followed. Mm -hmm. Now we've got the crowd again. Everyone's moved. Ooh, what's Jesus going to do? There's a crowd of people pressing in on Jesus. And there's someone in that crowd that needs Jesus, besides Jairus. This woman. With an issue of blood. I want you to think of the scene, you all. The crowds are pressing in. And within the crowd was this woman. Who had an issue of blood. She was unclean. She shouldn't be among the crowd of people. Her position in society was to be put out. You're not to be among us. And she suffered with years with this condition. Could you imagine? For years, years, and years of not being able to interact, to be loved have a place that you belong, to be looked down on, to have to announce yourself as unclean. She was treated horribly in this culture. But she heard that Jesus was in town. and she traveled to get to him. There was belief in that day that if you touched a religious man's robe, that you would be healed. So her purpose and her intent was just to reach out. And if I could just touch just a piece of his garment. I will be healed. She came with such great faith. But Jesus is going to turn it around and say, "Listen, and show her. Listen, it's not my clothes that have healed you. So don't put worth in what I'm wearing. Put worth in your faith in me. He's going to eventually call her out. Now, before we pick up the story, she's pressing her way in through the crowd. But you have to realize, if she would have been caught, how angry that mob would have become. You've made us all unclean. For her to even think that she can approach a religious man. When back in those days, the religious men pulled away from women like that. They would even look at them because they were afraid that they were going to become unclean. That's how rejected this woman was. Have you ever dealt with rejection? Being pushed aside? Unloved? This woman understood that. Probably more so than we can ever possibly imagine any of us facing. Her whole culture, her city, her town labeled her. And you're not welcome here. She's pressing her way in. And if I could just touch the hem of his garment, then I'll I'll pull it away. I'll be healed and no one will know. She had a purpose. She was pressing in. I love this picture of this one um, author I was reading. That she was groveling on the dirt. She was probably being trampled on by people's feet because it was an intense crowd pressing up against Jesus. Have you ever been desperate? Have you ever sought for someone or something just to make you whole? There's only someone who can, that's Jesus. Don't put your worth in other people. Don't find your security in relationships. I love my wife dearly, but my life is not wrapped up in her, it's in Christ. I know she loves me dearly, but she doesn't find her worth in her being my wife. No, she finds her worth in Christ. You don't go and try to find your worth in relationships. No, your worth can only be found in one. And this woman understood this. So she was doing whatever she had to do just to get to that little piece And Jesus was on his way to heal a young girl. I can only imagine, as we're we're reading through this, what the disciples were thinking. But Jesus is also revealing to the disciples about ministry. So many times, we get so sidetracked. Or so many times we think we're not doing enough. Or so many times we're thinking, no, we should be beyond this. We should be there. And Jesus is saying, no, plant where you're at. Stop getting so caught up in what's ahead. And sow where you're at. Even if there's a crowd pressing in. Even if you think there are things hindering you. No, you sow where you're at. Because a harvest will come. So the crowds begin The crowding around him. A woman in the crowd has suffered, verse 25, for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from from, from many doctors. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Immediately. She's backing away now, you all. She's received what she came for, and she's hoping that she can just back away now. Jesus realized, At once, that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my robe? Remember, he's on his way to heal this young girl. Come on, Jesus, we had to hurry. This young girl's dying. But Jesus stops. Who touched me? And if you study this, and you go through commentaries, he's looking lovingly in the crowd. He's not angry. He's not upset. He's filled with compassion. Someone touched me. Who touched me? And some commentaries mention the way that it's written that he knows that it's a woman who touched him. So He's, he's piercing the, the crowd, if you would, with his, with his eyes so gentle and full of love. Who touched me? Remember, the storm was open to kind of just back away. His disciple said to him, Look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask, who touched me? But he kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. She was frightened. Remember how the crowd would have been really angry with her. She was unclean. She was among them. So she came trembling, frightened. She fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. Look how Jesus responds, y'all. Remember, the culture of that day would have looked at him as being unclean now. You were touched by an unclean woman. Again, he's he's shattering all the, the cultural expectation of a religious man. And he's showing that it's not about religion, it's about relationship. He wants to establish a relationship with this woman. That's why he asked, who touched me? It was more important for him to stop at that moment and say I'm just not concerned if you would for your physical touch no 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 no. I want to heal you completely I want you to go in peace I want to establish a relationship with you you reached out and I'm reaching back God is such a beautiful expression of his love and he said to her daughter Now listen, you all, this woman has gone for 12 years without being loved or acknowledged. She was forgotten. She was of no value to the culture around her. They treated her like crap. And Jesus, I can only imagine his eyes looking at her. With such great love and compassion. And the first word he says to her. Daughter. He restores her to a place. Of value. You're accepted. Daughter. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. That's what he does with us you all. He heals us. He gives us worth and value. I can care less what man thinks of me and where I've been and what I've done because Jesus has called me his son. This woman was made whole and what a great your suffering is over. You're restored. And look what he says. Remember, he doesn't say his garment made you well. No, your faith. Your faith in me has made you well. Daughter. So you're sitting here today and, and, you, and you have no value because no one has really, truly truly Embraced you. He's loved you. Jesus wants to be able to establish this relationship with you. He wants to be able to call you daughter or son. He wants you to know that you are loved by the Almighty God. And that your worth can only be found in Him. And He wants to be able to tell you, as He has told this woman... Your suffering is over. Go in peace. And that word peace, nothing missing, nothing broken. Go. Don't live as a broken person anymore. Go. Learn what it is to live life in the fullness and wholeness. Be loved and love others. Look what happened. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jarius, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. Wow. Did we forget Jarius was still there? Could you only imagine what he was thinking? Like, Jesus, come on. What are you stopping for? My daughter's dying. I'm sure in and of himself, he was probably worked up like, Do we really have to find out who's touching you? There's so many people around you. And Jesus is having this exchange with this woman that he was just healed and connected with. And as he's speaking with her, he hears the report. Your daughter's dead. No need to trouble him any longer. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jarius, don't be afraid, afraid. Just have faith. Jarius, you came in faith. Remain in faith. Don't believe the report. God is sovereign. Jesus, when he went with him, Jesus knew what was ahead. Sometimes we may not be able to make sense out of life, but what we can do is trust that Jesus can make sense out of it. We can trust Him, no matter the outcome. And I love this next sentence. Remember the crowd? Let's not forget, this crowd wants a show. Come on, Jesus, work a miracle. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him. Except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. The other nine disciples and the crowd had to stay. Remember, he didn't come to put on a show. But he took the three, because back back in that culture... In order for something to be valid, in order for something to be testified to, there had to be three witnesses. And that's why you'll see these three were always chosen to go with Jesus. There had to be three witnesses to testify for an account to be valid. So he took these three. He allowed them to come. And so he's making his way to the home. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, Why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only sleeping or asleep. Listen, the child was dead. Those people gathered around back in that culture too. They used to pay people to come and mourn and wail and cry and carry on. They knew the child was dead. Jesus is putting a stop to this commotion. He's putting a stop to it. The crowd laughed at him. But he made them all leave, and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. He threw them out. He took control of the situation. Holding her hand. He said to her, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. Immediately. And notice that when he healed her, he didn't restore her back to her sickness. No, he healed her completely. She came back from the dead. She was once dead, now she's alive. They were all overwhelmed and totally amazed. And I like one commentary I read. They were acting as if they were out of their mind. They, they couldn't believe what just took place. The disciples and the parents. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what happened. He basically tells, reminds them, if you would, think upon what you just witnessed. Remember this. Remember this. And then he told them, give her something to eat. Don't you love that? Jesus could have produced food for her. If he wanted to. Remember what he did with the, the loaves and the and the fish? He produced <clears throat> But instead, he said to the parents, give her something to eat. And that's what he does in our lives. He works things out. But he entrusts us to continue. To meet the needs of others, to share with others, to encourage others, to go forth and to serve others. Incredible testimony of his compassion today for the loss for the broken for the hurting for the dying his compassion he wasn't sidetracked he, he knew his steps were ordered the cross is before him and on his way to the cross he's having this encounter with humanity those who reject Him, and those who are seeking Him. And those who seek Him find Him. And they seek Him with all of their heart. That's what the Word of God says. Listen, He's not looking for a religious group of people. The religious of that day, and as they have been since, is all conforming to rules and laws and religion trying to work to God. God doesn't want us working towards Him. God gave His Son so that we would just receive this incredible gift of salvation, this acceptance that God loves you. No matter where you've been or what you've done, that God loves you, but His desires that you wouldn't remain the same that you would receive the fullness of who He is, that you would be healed, that you would walk differently and live differently now, because you are an expression of His love to humanity. You are an expression of His love to humanity. So that the broken, the wounded, the sick, the dying, the lost, the tormented, the insecure, will know there's hope. Because all of us in this room can testify we were once there if we're still not there. But the hope that's in Christ, the compassion that he has, this encounter that he had with this this man who was possessed, with this woman who had an issue of blood, of Jairus who was desperately pleading with him, and this young girl who was dead his great compassion, his great love to restore, to make things right as they should be. No one else in this world can do that. No one else. Nothing in this world can do that. Only Jesus. You can choose to continue after the temporalness of life, but you're never going to be satisfied. Listen, we all know that the flesh only knows how to do one thing, and that's to die. And so the very things of this world drags us to our death. But Jesus, remember, came to give life. So if you put your hope in Him, you no longer have to seek the temporalness of this world. No, you have received the fullness of life. And you know that death no longer has power over you. That sin no longer can enslave you. That you are free in Christ, Jesus your Lord. And my hope is, as we're thinking throughout this week about Easter, that you would go from this place today and you would reflect on the price that was paid for you to be restored to God to live a life of hope and a life of peace, even if your circumstances and everything around you is out of control, you can remain in control. All because of what He has done. I love it where Scripture says, He who the Son has set free is free indeed. That's the good news, you all. So let's close in worship, and then I'll close this in prayer.